has required great flexibility on the part of everyone. And for planners like me, this can be a, a pretty challenging time. Uh, as many of you know, every fall, uh, Pastor Ben and Mike Bongo and I, we uh, get together, we go away typically to Lancaster uh, Bible College's library, and we pull together a preaching plan for uh, the entirety of the year. And uh, you name the, the weekend, and we can tell you what series we're going to be in, uh, what scripture that we're going to be looking at, uh, the general topic that we're going to address. Uh, we even know who's going to be preaching uh, all the way through the end of this year. And uh, that level of planning, that gives me great comfort. Now, on occasion, uh, there are times where things come up and it gets messed up. A, a snowstorm hits on a weekend, or maybe a, a specific passage that, that we're preaching on as, as Pastor Ben begins to study it, he realizes, wow, we bit off a whole lot more than we can chew, and we really only need to do about half of this passage right now, so we got to adjust the rest of the sermons down the road to, to take into the account that we're only dealing with half now, we're going to deal with half the following week, or, or maybe one of us gets sick, maybe I get sick, and, and Mike Bongo has to pick up for me. And, and those are natural occurrences to, to which we... Uh, easily adapt. Uh, but what's happening now is not a normal occurrence to which we easily adapt. Uh, it is unparalleled in my lifetime. Uh, the only thing that probably comes close to what's going on right now is 9-11 back in 2001. And because things are so fluid, uh, because things are so uncertain, uh, because for many people things are so terrifying, our team, uh, like many of you, have had to become very, very flexible. Over the, the span of the last two weeks, we basically have reinvented the way that we do church here at Living Water Community Church. We have shifted from a, a ministry that primarily uh, does its work out of this particular facility uh, to one that now primarily does its work online. Uh, we have multiple team members who are now working at home rather than coming into the office. Some of us are still coming into the office, but uh, we felt for the safety of some of uh, uh, our team members who maybe were senior citizens or have kids that were perhaps susceptible uh, to, to illnesses and things, it was better for some of our st staff members to be home. Uh, we've trimmed our expenditures as a church family, as uh, our entire church family transitions to online giving or uh, to mailing in their offering. And more, like, uh, more, more than anything else, we, like you guys, have had to deal with the whole idea of the unknown and the fear of the unknown. And the planner in me wanted to continue uh, the Gospel and Government series. Uh, we had only two topics left to cover and uh, I, I wanted to, to, to finish that. I wanted to get it done. And as such, uh, this morning, uh, Pastor Ben, who had been preparing for the last three weeks, was supposed to talk about a biblical perspective on human sexuality and gender. And uh, that was the game plan. And then Friday morning happened. Uh, during my quiet time on Friday morning in my living room when it's quiet, no one, you know, Kathy's still sleeping, and uh, I'm in there, I'm doing my quiet time, and I sense God saying to me, Mike, your plan for this weekend needs to change. And I don't know how you guys operate with God, but I don't roll over that easy at times. And so I'm like, uh, no, God, I got a plan. 
Uh, Pastor Ben, he's been studying for the last three weeks. Uh, we're going to continue moving forward with the gospel and, and government thing. Thank, thanks for your input, God, but, but I think I got this under control. And uh, God replies back to me, Mike, you need to know I am fully aware of how long Pastor Ben has studied for that message, uh, but this weekend's message needs to change. To which I responded, not doing that, God. It's too crazy as it is right now. It's Friday. There's no time to prepare uh, a new message. Uh, Pastor Ben is moving forward with it. And uh, I, I wanted to end this dialogue with God, so I, I quickly said uh, amen, which is kind of interesting because it says I agree, and I really wasn't agreeing with God at that time. Uh, and as I finished praying, I, I, I sat on my chair, I picked up my Bible, I began to read the Bible, and a few minutes later, uh, my cell phone gets the little text buzz thing, and uh, I decide to stop my Bible study, that's how incredibly spiritual your pastor is, and uh, go and check my uh, text messages. And uh, as I'm reading this text message, uh, I get a text from a friend of mine who comes to Living Water, who I deeply, deeply respect. And this is what it says. It says, hi, Mike. I don't wish to overstep here, but have you considered pivoting away from the sermon series towards something more hope-filled and encouraging? And I stared at that message, and in unbelief, I, I bowed my head, and I said, you know what, God? I give up. If you've got to send a text message to get my attention... I better do what you want. So we're shelving the gospel and government series for the time being, and we're going to pivot towards something that's more hope-filled and encouraging. Now go and figure. You know, last time I checked, you know, God spoke to people through burning bushes and the mouths of donkeys, and now in this world he's taking up uh, technology and beginning to text people. I put in my uh, message here, pause for a little chuckle. Hopefully you're doing that at home. Uh, so let's get started. Um, open your Bibles or your smartphone app to Psalm 27. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or uh, a smartphone app at home, uh, you'll simply have to listen to me as I read because all the Bibles that we have on the table scattered around this room are not going to be of any help to you right now. And as we do each and every week, if you would please stand uh, in honor of God's Word, we're going to look at Psalm 27. That's where we're headed. Psalm 27, I'll give you a second to, to find your way there. Uh, we will read the uh, entirety of it. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me and eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices 
and with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, what I just read for you was a prayer that was written by King David, who ruled over the Israelites for about a thousand years prior, or approximately a thousand years prior to the birth of Jesus. Now, David had it all. He uh, had enormous wealth, awesome power, great looks, a sharp intellect, but his greatest strength was that he deeply loved God. So deep was, was David's love for God that 1 Samuel tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. However, despite all of his power and wealth and being a man after God's own heart, David's world was rocked on several occasions. As a young boy, he found himself fighting lions and bears and even a nine-foot-tall giant by the name of Goliath. As a young man, he served a jealous king by the name of Saul who sought to kill his, take his life. After being made king of Israel, one of his sons, Absalom, led a coup d'etat that forced David to flee from his life. And if anybody had reason to fear, it was King David. And yet, listen to what he says in the beginning of Psalm 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes? It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart should not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Clearly, those are words of a man who is not living in fear. Quite the opposite. Those are the words of, of a courageous individual, one who, who stood firm even when the world was violently shaking around him. But why is that? How could David have such incredible courage in the midst of danger? It's because, it's because he built his life upon an immovable foundation. Of all the things that he could have built his life upon, upon fame or power or fortune or health, or personal appearance. Instead, he built his life upon a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a result, when death came calling, when, when forced to flee uh, his wealth and flee for his life, when confronted with the betrayal of his very own son, David's faith, it might have been shaken, but it wasn't toppled. Because fear didn't paralyze David. 
And the reason was he placed his trust in God's power and provision. Now, my friends, the chaos that we are experiencing right now makes us realize the reality of the things in which we trust. Things which seem to be stable and strong in reality are are really flimsy and weak. With each passing day, many of the things that that we and our neighbors and, and the folks that live in America and the folks that live around the world have built our lives upon are shifting underneath our feet. If, if the foundation of our life is money, if we're invested in the stock market, folks, we only have about two-thirds of that foundation anymore. If the foundation of our lives is our appearance, well, appearance quickly becomes a moot point when they close down hair salons and nail shops and clothing stores and gyms and lunchtime liposuction places. And even if we could get fancied up, where in the world are we going to go? With every restaurant and movie theater and entertainment venue shuttered. Perhaps the the foundation of our lives is our health. Even the healthiest of us is not immune to this microscopic virus that looks like a, a kid's puffer ball that has been possessed by a demon. And if the foundation of our lives is power, being laid off from work, or being unable to to pay our bills, or perhaps finding ourselves on on a vent in the local ICU, or any number of any other delusions that you and I might have of significant power, that all goes right out the window. And if we have learned one thing from these past few weeks, it should be this, that if our lives are built on anything other than a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God, then we better be prepared to live in fear because our health and wealth can evaporate quickly and without warning. Yet look what happens when we choose to make God and his word the foundation of our lives. In the very first part of the very first verse of Psalm 27, David tells us that that God gives light and salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, what is light? Light is the absence of darkness. You ask any child what comes with darkness, and those children will tell you that it is fear. In one way or another, we are all afraid of the dark, because when there's darkness, there is always the possibility of danger. But you turn on a light, and that fear is quickly quickly driven away. The same is true for God. God is the one and only light that has the power to shine through the chaos of the world that we're living in right now. And when you and I build our lives on God and his one and only son, Jesus Christ, his love brings light and that serves to drive away our fear. You see, throughout the Bible, Jesus is described as the light of the world. And in John 8, Jesus himself declares this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, it doesn't take a master's 
in public health or a CPA to figure out that the vast majority of our world's leaders are struggling to figure out how to stop this virus. Many of them are blaming each other, covering up for themselves. Some of them are, are incapacitated uh, for fear of the political ramifications of, of making hard choices. Sadly, we just read in, in the news over the last couple days, some of them are, are posturing for, for future political advancement, and some have even profited off the suffering of those who they vowed to serve. What that tells me is that many, maybe not all, but many of our leaders are walking in darkness. They don't know the end game. They're struggling to, to develop and deploy the necessary test kits. They're shutting some things down and then leaving other things open. Case in point, just in Florida here over the last week, you had tens of thousands of college students on spring break undoubtedly passing COVID-19 between one another like a beach ball, only to bring it back home in time to infect grandma who's got emphysema and Uncle Harry who's got a heart condition, and no one did anything about it. What does that mean? It means that the foreseeable future might be pretty dark. But Jesus promises his followers that they will never, ever walk in darkness, but rather they will live in the light of life. And I, for one, would rather walk by faith in the light of God's protection than rely on my own strength and my own wisdom and that of our earthly leaders I don't want to cower in fear in the darkness. But God not only brings us light in the midst of chaos, he also brings something far greater. He brings us something called salvation. Many people have, have placed their, their faith and trust in money for their salvation. And when it comes up empty, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. Cathartic Ratchman happens. In 2008, 45-year-old Catholic Ratchman discovered what the Bible teaches in Proverbs 23 was horrifically true. It says this, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. With a keen financial mind, an MBA from UCLA, and a 19-year career at the accounting and consulting firm PricewaterhouseCooper that came with a $1.2 million salary, it seemed financially that Catharic could do nothing wrong. In 2001, he made a million dollars on a single investment. In 2006, he sold his home and made a quick half million dollars. He was living the American dream. He had a beautiful home, a beautiful wife, and three handsome boys. However, in the heart 
of the 2008 financial crisis. Cathartic's American dream turned to an American nightmare as his wealth sprouted wings and flew away. And as the markets crashed, everything that Cathartic had, had, had put his faith and trust in was gone, and it pushed him over the edge. And so he went through his home in the early morning hours, and he shot and killed his wife, his mother-in-law, his three boys, and then himself. For Cathartic, trusting in money didn't bring salvation. It brought death. And the world will tell you that money and health are the cure to all your woes. Tragically, even some churches will tell you that. Yet in spite of our efforts to, to save ourselves, only Jesus offers true salvation. For only Jesus possesses both the power and the will to guarantee life after death for those who repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in him. David understood that. David knew that the Lord was his salvation. He knew that no matter what happened to him, whether he lost all of his wealth, whether he died by sword or by natural causes, or simply as a result of old age, he had nothing to fear for his last breath on earth meant that it would be his first breath in heaven. And when we couple the light of God's love and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, then we have a power far greater than any fear that this world can bring our way. And in this day where an unseen virus threatens to take our very lives, while at the same time is working on destroying the global economy, we can be comforted when David says, the Lord is light, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foe? It is they who fall and stumble. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. So whether it's a positive COVID-19 test, a loss of a job, a crumbling retirement portfolio, the repossession of a house, hijacked airplanes crashing into buildings, soldiers storming beaches, missiles flying through the air, or a million different potential horrors that could come our way. There is nothing coming in the coming days that an unwavering faith in Jesus Christ cannot handle. And for that reason, we need not live in fear. So the question becomes, how in the world do I develop an unwavering faith in God that David possessed? Verses 4 to 6 give us the answer. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices 
of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. If you could go to God and ask him for anything at all, what would you ask? For more money? For a nicer home? For a better car? For a more influential job? For a life of great health? Healing for someone in your family? Perhaps a loved one being brought back to life? What would you want? I'll tell you what David wanted. He wanted God. Verse 4, he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, David had it all, much more than, than the vast majority of any of us possess. He has fame. He has fortune. He has power. He has good looks. He has great wisdom. He possessed all of the things that the world thinks that is important. Yet surprisingly, he doesn't ask for more of any of those things. Why? Because he knew that they were ultimately useless. Of all the things that David could ask for, of all the things the world has to offer, David's desire was to humbly bow before the God of the universe. He wanted nothing more than a deep, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Unfortunately, few people today really desire that kind of intimacy with God. Most people want just enough of God so that they feel like they're going to go to heaven when they die. But not too much of God to have them make changes to their lifestyle here on earth. You see, many people treat God like he is McDonald's. They only stop by when they're hungry. And rather than dining in, they actually go to the drive-thru. And just like the food at McDonald's, the spiritual extra value meal that they order from Pastor Mike's biblical burger barn only temporary, temporarily satisfies. And when the world crashes around them, they discover their relationship with God was hollow and without substance, a foundation that was incapable of providing the courage and the peace required during these tumultuous times. And I tell you this with all the love and compassion that I can muster. If that's the kind of relationship that you and I have with God, if we treat him like some kind of spiritual Ronald McDonald, then we will live our lives in a constant, state of fear. But if we're like King David, we're not going to be satisfied with, with spiritual fast food. Instead, we want to sit down with God to, to have a five-course me meal, but better yet, we want to work with him in the kitchen. 
We want to see how he pulls things uh, together because we want to be around him all the time. And that's what David means when it's his one desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David knew that if he was going to survive in a world filled with fear, that he needed more than a drive-in relationship with God. And the same is true for you and me. If it is our desire to look at the future and look at it with a, a secure foundation of God's love, then we need to get serious about our relationship with him. We need to make Jesus and God's word a priority in our lives. We must regularly read the Bible and pray. We must meditate and fast. We must hide God's word in our heart by memorizing scripture. We need to worship not just on the weekends, whether it's here in this place or online, but, but we need to worship on a daily basis in our homes, in our cars, in our workplaces. We must take intentional steps in engaging with, with Christian friends who will encourage us in our walk of faith. We must commit ourselves to boldly and humbly sharing the truth of Jesus with our family and friends and neighbors who've yet to come to faith in him because people need Jesus all the time, but they really, really need him right now. And we are the primary mechanism that God uses to reveal himself to the world. And we need to take the focus of just protecting ourselves and take the risk to serve others. But some will say, you know, Pastor Mike, I'm doing that. I'm doing those things. Yet, I'm still afraid. And this is how I would respond to that. So am I. Brothers and sisters, I need to confess and I am very concerned. I'm concerned not only for my family's fiscal and physical and spiritual well-being. You know, my kids, most of them, they live far away from here. I got a son in Ecuador who's locked down in the city of Mbato. My son John, he, he's uh, working from home and he's got a new wife and he lives all the way on the other side of the state of Ohio. Uh, my daughter, Nicole, her, her job has, has, you know, hasn't laid her off, but they don't have work for her to do right now. I'm concerned about those things. I, I'm also concerned uh, for the impact that this is going to have on, on living water and our church staff. And I'm concerned for the, the physical and the fiscal and the spiritual well-being of everybody in our church family. I love you guys with all of my heart. I hate to see people struggling and in fear. I hate that we can't be physically together on weekends, that, that I'm looking over at, at basically a, a whole pile of empty chairs with, with a couple of a, my staff members trying to laugh at my lame jokes. I hate that that's happening. I hate that I can't shake your hand 
and welcome you when you come in these doors. I hate that, that I've got to stop every urge in my body to, to grab you and hold you when, when you're crying and you're weeping. We, we've got a dear brother right now who, who, whose wife has got a 10% chance to live in the ICU at the Penn State Medical Center because of some liver issues that she had. And all I've been able to do is talk to him on the phone. If this wasn't the, 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 what we're going through right now, I'd have been in that hospital room. Pastor Ben would have been there. Bongo would have been there. James would have been there. Kathy would have been there. I hate that we've got to do it this way. And I want to do everything that I can do to make things better. But i got to tell you, I still live in fear at times. But I'm not paralyzed by my fears. Why? Because I need to know. I know what I need to do when I'm afraid. I need to fall on my knees. I need to cry out to God. And I need to tell him that I need his help. I cannot be incapacitated by fear. And brothers and sisters, you can't either. There is great work that needs to be done. And this is what David does. Listen to the verses 7 through 12 again. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a path, level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and they breathe out violence. Contained with those six verses are the cries of a man who desperately needs God's help and strength. And David wasn't too, too proud or too afraid to go to God in prayer. He wasn't too ashamed to ask God to forgive his sins. When David was in need, he humbly fell on his face and cried out to God for help and then waited for God to answer. And while there is not enough time this morning to do justice to this incredible prayer that Jesus prays, there are two things that I think we need to remember. The first is found in verse eight. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. David wasn't seeking God's hand. He wasn't looking for what God could give him. No, he was seeking God's face. He wanted to be in the presence of God. And the reason why David could say things like, whom shall I fear of? Whom shall I be afraid? When the world was falling apart around him was because his life was lived consistently in the presence of God. And that's a very good place to be. And because David was in that place, because David was seeking God's face, he can say in verse 11, teach me, O Lord, your ways and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. David is humble. He's teachable. He is a leader who knew who he was and he is a leader who understood there was someone that he ultimately needed to follow. And that, my friends is the heart that you and I need to have as we face these rapidly changing things in the future. It goes without saying that we will need to be spending our time a whole lot more on our knees, seeking God's face and allowing him 
to guide our steps. We should have been doing that a long time ago. And it's so sadly that it takes tragedy and uncertainty to wake us up to the fact that we desperately need God. And more than anything, we need to fully realize that in spite of our fear, God still loves and accepts us. Not because of what we have or have not done, but because of what Jesus has done. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection prove that not only is God in control of all things, but that God's love for you and me is greater than anything that we could possibly imagine. Jesus did what many of us are seeking to avoid at this very moment, and it's this. Jesus sacrificed. He denied himself. He put the needs of others before himself so that you and I ultimately will be able to live. Many of us are discovering that we don't want to sacrifice. We want our comfort. We want our pleasure. We want our safety. We want to go where we want to go, do what we want to do, and we don't want any of that stuff to cost us anything at all. Well, the reality that is for Christians Comfort and pleasure and safety, while they might be nice, and while God allows us to enjoy those things many, many times, the reality is that we are called to sacrifice in the way that Jesus sacrificed, to put others before ourselves, to welcome inconvenience and struggle and pain because they are a reminder that this world is not our home. And perhaps if we focus more on what we have eternally gained through Jesus and less on what we might temporarily lose through a virus, we wouldn't be so fearful. Now that was a lot. So let me close by telling you what the next few weeks are going to look like and then we'll sing a song and then Mike Bongo is going to wrap things up at the end. My assumption is that it will be necessary to continue to worship through the live stream uh, for the next few weeks. We haven't made a decision as an elder board, but we'll make that decision on a weekly basis, uh, and it'll be based on the decisions that Governor Wolf and President Trump are making uh, regarding public gatherings. Uh, right now, you can plan on worshiping uh, together via live stream uh, next weekend. I think that that's the reality right now. Uh, the remaining two weeks of the Gospel and Government series are on hold. We'll uh, wrap that up once we're able to all come together in this room and, and, and finish that series together. Uh, in place of that, we have developed a, a three-part series focused on the Apostle Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, it's called Anchored in Faith. Pastor Ben did an amazing job of pulling together uh, the concept for this series, which addresses the topics of uh, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. Uh, part one will start next week. Uh, the following week after that is Palm Sunday, and then we have Good Friday, and we have Easter Sunday. Uh, for those three services, we have planned a, a special Easter series called The Evil of Easter. Uh, 
Uh, We're going to examine the events of the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection uh, as it was experienced by those who actually wanted to kill him. And after Easter, we'll continue with parts two and three of Anchored in the Storm. Uh, That gives you a roadmap for the next uh, five weeks. As for our our children and students, uh, Pastor James and and Harry and Miss Victoria and Grace and Miss Beth, uh, they're going to continue to provide you resources on a a weekly basis to engage your kids. Uh, Pastor Ben continues to work with our small group leaders to to make sure that we're able to do uh, virtual small groups. And Mike Bongo and the Outreach and Compassion team will continue to, to work hard on pairing up people in need with those in our church family who can help them. We are very grateful for those who said, hey, Mike B., uh, whatever I can do, I'll do it. And then we're grateful for having some of the needs uh, coming in. So uh, I would ask you humbly to please keep praying for us. Uh, we promise that we'll keep uh, praying for you. Uh, we're not going anywhere. Uh, Somebody uh, will be here at church to uh, answer the phones, to pray for you, uh, to help direct your needs, and uh, we'll be pressing forward with uh, these live streams as long as we need to do them, and we look forward to the day uh, when we can all come back in here and uh, we can worship uh, together. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll sing. And uh, Lord God, thank you uh, for this time. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that we do not need to live in fear. Uh, Lord, even while the earth shakes, the mountains fall into the sea, uh, Lord, you are are still on the throne. Uh, Lord, you, uh, you take things like this and you use them for your glory. Father, we pray for those who have, uh, been suffering uh, through this virus. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those who have lost loved ones. Uh, We pray, Father, for those who are are in fear, who have lost jobs. Uh, Lord, uh, for their monetary uh, situation has been wrecked. We pray, God, that that you would uh, meet their needs. And Father, we thank you that you have met our greatest need, our need to be reconciled with you uh, because we're unable to do it on our own. Lord, our sins are great. Your holiness is far above anything that we can achieve on our own. Yet you, uh, you sent your son to to live and to die and to be raised again so that anyone who who places their their faith and trust in him through repentance and receives him, Heavenly Father, might be saved. I pray that your spirit would work powerfully. uh, Lord, drawing people to yourself, help us, dear God, to be people who who look at your sacrifice, and Lord, who, who follow you day by day. And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen.